I was working three days a week, and they were so long that the next day I'd have to be in bed because of pain and exhaustion. The only day that I felt good during the week was Sunday, but if I did something fun on Sunday, then I'd be super tired for Monday. So I made the difficult decision to retire early. I knew I was too early to retire. I really loved my job and I was good at it. So I decided that I would become a disability rights activist, and I had no idea how, but I knew I was going to do it, and I did. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Sam Zacker, a reporter and native New Yorker living in Bed-Stuy. I injured my back in December of 2022, and since then it has hurt every minute of every day. I have lived in New York since I was born, but my chronic pain and limited mobility have made me see the city in a whole new light. And I realized that even though anyone could become a person with a disability at any time, we are rarely if ever prepared. So, I spoke with New Yorkers with mobility disabilities to learn about their own experiences navigating life in the city, both physically and emotionally. Today, I'll be sharing some of those conversations. The first person I want to introduce you to is Iman Ramawi Doster. Iman grew up in Queens and was diagnosed with lupus as a teenager. Today, she's an organizer, activist, and future lawyer. Since her diagnosis, she's had heart attacks, paralysis, and two amputations. Like many of the people I talk to, Iman has had to fight to be heard. A prime example of this is her experience finding a doctor. They didn't think I would make it past 30. And they would tell me that too. And I was just like, wow, your bedside manner is trash. Like you don't tell somebody, oh, you're still alive? Who says that to somebody? But once they found out that I was Black and Palestinian, they saw my life as less worthy. I encountered that so many times. Um, And I'm so grateful to have the team of doctors that I have now. But it took me till 2016 to get there. So from 1999, when I started showing signs of lupus up until 20 to like, you know, early 2016, I was still dealing with doctors who did not value my life. But once I found my great doctors and, and I and I have a rule for all my doctors, you've got to be a woman and you've got to be black or brown. And I refuse to see anyone else. And and like I said, it's, it's wild that it took me that long to find a group of doctors because I have to see a whole bunch of them. I see my rheumatologist, I see the cardiologist, I see my hematologist because of my blood clotting disorder. And I also have to go see a neurologist because of my nerve damage. And I've also got to see um, ear, nose and throat doctor because I've got inflammation. And so I'm on a sort of, as part of my, I guess my journey and my goal to like not only educate people on all these things, because there's so many people, especially black and brown women who go through these things, don't get a diagnosis, are treated like you know, they're wackadoodle rather than having, rather than I know my body, I know what I should be feeling. And I'm not feeling that, that like how I should be feeling. And my hope is that every single person with any kind of condition, whatever it is, finds a decent doctor so that they can actually have a better quality of life. And that's, you know, that's, that's like the number one thing for a lot of folks with chronic illnesses, finding a doctor that like believes you, that listens to you, that doesn't accuse you of like being drug seeking or being a hypochondriac, which I was accused of early on. And it took me having two heart attacks and literally just wasting away in a bed 
for them to like recognize, oh, wait, maybe this isn't something that she did to herself. Iman's experience of getting care isn't unusual, and it isn't limited to doctors. It's representative of the way many people and organizations treat New Yorkers with disabilities as inactive and unsocial. I spoke to Jessica Murray, an educator and disability rights activist. Jessica grew up in Texas and was drawn to New York because of the public transportation, but she soon learned that the subway wasn't as accessible as she thought. MTA board, you know, basically voted and said, we're going to ignore the federal regulations. Um, There's this like American Public Transit Association that's also just like really pushed back on this requirement, mostly because they said it's basically going to cut into the, the funding that they give us. So they didn't want to do it. And they came up with all kinds of excuses about, you know, disabled people are not really active anyway. They're not really traveling much. Like it would be easier to just start like a paratransit system where we just drive people uh, when they need to go to a medical appointment or whatever they do. So it was just this very um, biased mindset that um, disabled people were not active, didn't really have social lives, didn't work, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so the settlement agreement that they had with EPVA um, was to make uh, a certain number of key stations, and they didn't really define key stations. It was just kind of meant to be like the important stations in the city. And so they agreed to make 54 key stations accessible as part of this lawsuit. When it's a doctor dismissing your concerns or MTA officials assuming that people with disability don't have social lives, Having limited mobility in New York City can be extremely isolating. I never thought I could feel so alone in a city with millions of people and opportunities. Disability advocate Rebecca Lamort described feeling like she missed out on years of her life following the accident that disabled her. I feel like I missed out on years of my life when I just kept myself at home. And now at 32, that's my cross to bear. You know, like when I think about people like, oh, you met your life partner. I was sitting at home in bed eating a family-sized bag of peanut M&Ms because I hated myself and my body. That's the reality. So I, that's, that's my issue now on the other side, where when you put yourself on a shelf for so many years, and I do, I, I will say to people, be like, no, I just sit on a shelf. I'm just on a shelf, tucked away. When you do that, life goes on and the world still revolves around its axis. And we're just not out there revolving with it. And there are so many reasons why. And then there are the like physical societal barrier reasons why we can't always be out there like we want to. But yeah, it's missing out on things is really tough. But also from this side, I'll say we're always going to miss out on things. There will always be things we will just not be invited to. There will always be things we'll be invited to that we have to say no to. There will always be things that we can attend where we watch other people participate and stuff and we don't get to. That's really difficult when you're the person like sitting on the sand and you want to be surfing. Or you're the person having having a wine at the ski hut and everyone else is out on the slopes. Or you're at the wedding and everyone's dancing and you're just sitting at a table. Because, yeah, physically my body can go and do those motions, but it's not physically worth it all the time if then the next day I may not be able to walk or do anything. Yeah, it's an interesting way to put it because I definitely feel like I physically can do these these things that are difficult for me, but it's like they're difficult. So I struggle with that conflict of like, well, I can go up this entire set of stairs and not take the escalator. Mm -hmm. It's going to hurt like Mm -hmm. hell. And I'm probably going to be in a lot more pain tomorrow or I can't fall asleep tonight because of pain, but 
I can do it. Mm-hmm. So like, should I? It's like, it's just kind of like balancing that and being like, well, you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And long term, like we should have a city around us. We should have society where we don't have to ask those questions. It's just here's stairs, here's an escalator and choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. Pick how your story ends. Yeah. How do you get to the top? Like me, Rebecca's disability came later in life. It took time for her to find a community of other people with disabilities who she could connect with. She told me that she's found those connections through social media platforms like Twitter, where she can share an isolating moment then get support from friends from around the world. Christy Cruz, who was born with cerebral palsy, definitely helped me feel less isolated. She thrives as a mentor to fellow New Yorkers with disabilities and uses her experience as teaching moments for others. Because I was born uh, with my diagnosis, I don't believe um, I've felt isolated. And I think in part is because uh, I'm comfortable uh, within myself, um, especially now, you know, as an adult where I've, you know, gotten a chance to experience uh, lots of things. And I use my experiences as teaching moments and helping others. In my example, I'm a wheelchair user. So, you know, you have children who are inquisitive, but sometimes maybe afraid to ask, well, what happened, you know, and that will give me uh, the opportunity to say, hey, let me show you how my wheelchair operates, right? And so that way, that little elephant in the room that they might be afraid of, it's no longer there because now they become comfortable because I'm sharing with them, you know, what my chair does and how it Mm -hmm. helps me. I also want to give you the opportunity if there's anything else like you feel like think I should have asked or anything you want to share. Uh, Just know that there's a community of us, uh, including myself, um, that are out there that will, you know, be willing to share our experience um, with you. And also just know that you're not alone. And I think that's the most important piece in this whole component, you know, especially as you go in through it. I mean, with me, you know, being that I don't know anything different, right? Because I was born with it and it's all I know. If you told me, do you miss, do you miss the able body experience, right? I, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? But I say that to say that there are people, you know, in the community who share in your experiences and Try to use every opportunity as a teaching moment because with disability, um, especially pain, because people can't see the pain that you're living with, right? You have to educate in order to get some sort of assistance, right? And you have to educate in order to get yourself to a place that's going to be beneficial Mm. for you. Everyone I spoke to has found community in their advocacy work, including Jean Ryan, who began working with Disabled in Action after retiring from a job she loved because of the impossible commute. I couldn't keep on doing it anymore. I was exhausted all the time. I was working three days a week, and they were so long that the next day I'd have to be in bed because of pain and exhaustion. The only day that I felt good during the week was Sunday, but if I did something fun on Sunday, then I'd be super tired for Monday. So I made the difficult decision to retire early. I knew I was too early to retire, 
I really loved my job and I was good at it. So I decided that I would become a disability rights activist, and I had no idea how, but I knew I was going to do it, and I did. Can you tell me about that process of getting into that? When I retired in 1998, my health was not good. Uh, Finally, in 1999, one year after I retired, I joined DIA, and I had been hearing about DIA, Disabled in Action, from somebody in the Human Rights Commission that I'd been working with on accessibility problems. But I had never been to the meetings, so I joined. I started going to the monthly meetings, and I got up to speed fast. And I started testifying at City Hall and going to different kinds of meetings, learning the ropes. And I got involved in the Taxis for All campaign, We ended up suing the Taxi and Limousine Commission of the City of New York for accessible cabs, yellow cabs, because there were so few we could never find them. But leading up to that, we had tried to get the city to even get any. And there was so much indifference and opposition to it. They just didn't care. That's We tried the legislative route to get the city council to pass a bill. Twice we tried that. And uh, people would sign on to the bill, but we couldn't get it pushed forward. Then we sued in 2012, I believe. So it's been a really long haul on this, too. And they still are not accessible at 50% like they should be. As Jean explained, going the legislative route to push for more accessible cabs didn't work, so they sued. Dustin Jones, also a disability advocate, told me that suing is, unfortunately, one of the most impactful ways to increase accessibilities in New York City. Everything that the disability community has gotten in this city, we've had to sue for. There was nothing purposely made to say, we included you in this. We've always had to sue. People in this city, administrations in this city, does things the way they want to. And then when we say something, then they want to go back to the drawing board and say, what would you like us to do? Don't treat me like I say, I always tell people, like we're the X-Men. You know, we're like mutants, you know. So they're making the world for them. and. You know, they'll throw us a scrap here and there. Today, a group of activists called the Elevator Action Group is moving to push wheelchair accessibility in the subways to the top of the MTA agenda. And they've made progress. In June of 2022, the MTA agreed to a timeline for stair-free access at every subway station. Right now, only one quarter of stations are accessible. With the 2022 settlement as leverage, activists are pressing the MTA to start delivering on that promise. They're also putting pressure on the MTA to improve their maintenance of subway elevators. Jessica, who you heard earlier, is a part of the Elevator Action Group. Here's what she had to say. Navigation tools are getting better in terms of like Google Maps. You can map out more accessible routes. The, I think the buses are a lifeline if you're not going too far. Um, if you're like staying within your borough, it does take a little bit longer. Um, if you're going long distances, it doesn't really seem to work well. I don't know. I think the, you know, the next 
challenge and the next fight is there's this, a lawsuit that's still ongoing about elevator maintenance that we're really trying to get the MTA to come to the table on because um, the few elevators that do exist, um, some of them are just very unreliable. And it's like, if someone encounters a broken elevator multiple times, they're just kind of going to give up on it. And that's not great for anyone, like, you know, because they are going to end up um, having to rely more on accessoride. And it's bad for the person because it's like they're kind of forced into this other system that also doesn't work well. But we kind of have a core group of organizers that have been working at this. And then we lately, we've just kind of been doing these rallies outside the MTA headquarters um, before their board meetings. Yeah, it's not, we're all volunteers. So it's it's kind of, you know, it all depends on how much energy and time we have. Um, but everyone's really dedicated to the cause and everyone's been great to work with and just really supportive. I think it's harder when you're kind of trying to do it alone and like not have, you know, it's like, it's just really critical to have that support. While the city remains inaccessible in a lot of ways for a lot of New Yorkers, change is happening because of people like Jessica, Dustin, Jean, Christy, Rebecca, Iman, and Detuan Collins. To Detuan, the key is sticking together, holding on to this community. You know, like the community, we just need to stick together. Because there's, there's a lot of work to be done. And I think the work will be done if we're together, sticking together. I think we'll make it further, you know and trying to be separated. Because we're the only community, so if you think about it, anybody could be a part of this community at any time. Tomorrow, something can happen, and we'll welcome you in with open arms. Hey, come on in. To get involved with the Elevator Action Group, Disabled in Action, and other organizations focused on making New York City more accessible, check our show notes. I also encourage you to call your local representative to let them know that having accessible public transportation matters to you. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description.